You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Our scripture reading today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was giving me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to Mosaic. My name is Brett Milliken, one of the pastors here. Pastor Morgan and Carrie are actually in San Antonio this morning where he's preaching at one of our sister churches there, Luminous Church. So we'll be praying for his time there and his travel back. Uh, Looking forward to having him back next week as we begin a new series next week that is titled Jesus, the Man Who Acts. It's a journey through the first part of the Gospel of Mark where we're going to be doing a number of really cool things through the series. But most of all, we're going to be seeing how the person of Jesus changes our lives changes history. So we hope to have you back for that next week. Jesus, the man who acts. Today, however, we are wrapping up our Amazing Grace series where we've been taking a look at how God's grace impacts our lives. And we've seen how God's grace invites us into a place of meeting with him and his presence. We've seen how God's grace sets us free from our sin and our shame. And today I get to talk to you about the sufficiency of God's grace in the midst of our pain and discouragement that we experience in life. Yay me. And I know the moment you hear that, some of you are probably as hesitant to hear this message as I probably am to preach it. Because I know that for some of you, there has been some tremendous pain and suffering as of late. And here I am sitting up on this stage about to tell you that God has a purpose in that pain, which I'm sure is exactly what you were hoping to hear this morning. The reality is God does have a purpose in our pain. And my hope today is to help us wrestle through that truth in such a way that neither dismisses nor trivializes your situation, but rather redeems it and gives it a new meaning. And here's why I think we need to hear this, or at least why I know I need to hear it. So we've been saying throughout this series that God's grace is what we want the most when we need it the most, when we deserve it the least. And I think as Christians, we tend to hear that and we say, amen, and we nod our heads because we tend to see it through the lens of forgiveness and reconciliation and blessing and all the good, warm, fuzzy things that God has given us that we don't deserve. And we say, yes, I want those things. But here in our passage, Paul says, sometimes God's grace comes to us in a form of something we may not necessarily want, that's suffering. And the question I've been wrestling with over the last few weeks as I've been studying through this passage is this. 
is God's grace still amazing when it comes to us in less than amazing ways? As C.S. Lewis, in writing about his own pain after losing his wife to breast cancer, he wrote this. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. But what exactly is God's message to us in those moments? And what does it take for us to hear that message the way he wants us to hear it? Or to put it another way, how do we experience the sufficiency of God's grace in such a way that our weaknesses become our strengths? So I want to talk to you about that today by looking at three truths that Paul points us to in this passage. Number one, there's a reason that we boast. Number two, there's a purpose in our pain. And number three, there is power made perfect in our weakness. Verses one through five, Paul says, I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise and he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter on behalf of this man. I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Now, almost every commentator that I read agrees that this is Paul's way of, of sheepishly referring to his own experience of being caught up into the third heaven. And by his own description of it, we can tell that he he doesn't really want to have to talk about it, but he kind of feels like he has to talk about it. He's boasting, but he's doing it reluctantly. But why? I mean, he literally just said there's nothing to be gained by boasting. So why does he say it? Well, because of what was happening at the church in Corinth at this time. See, Paul had planted this church years prior. He's now out planting other churches all around Asia. And this group of men, there were false apostles had come in teaching false doctrine, trying to set themselves up and insert themselves into positions of authority and power within this church. And what they were doing is they were saying that they had all these revelations and all these signs and all these visions and all these miraculous things that had happened in them and to them and through them and saying, that is our strength. That is the proof of our apostleship. But that Paul, he gets thrown into prison. He gets beaten. He gets stoned. He gets ridiculed. He gets made fun of. Man, he is really, really weak. And therefore his authority is not valid. And so Paul, realizing that the Corinthians are are buying into this lie and out of a concern for his people being led astray, he says, I've got to say this. And he boasts about this crazy revelation to show that he actually has plenty of strengths that he could brag about. But he says the true test of his apostleship is not what happens on the mountaintop, but what he goes through in those moments in the valley when his faith is being tested and he still chooses to say that God's grace is sufficient. But I think this temptation to boast in our strengths is something we all fall prey to from time to time. So that word boast means to point to the glory of something. And because we live in a culture today that tells us that we have to do better and we have to be more if we really want to be loved by others, we feel this constant pressure to glorify our strengths in order to prove our worth. The late psychologist Abraham Maslow, most known for his hierarchy of needs, when writing about the need for love and acceptance, he said this, the needs for safety, belonging, love relations, and for respect can be satisfied only by other people only from outside the person. This means considerable dependence on the environment. A person in this dependent position cannot really be said to be governing himself or in control of his own fate. He must be to an extent other directed and must be sensitive to other people's approval, affection, and goodwill. 
So Maslow is saying from an atheistic, humanistic point of view, which is our cultural point of view, that if we want to feel like we're good enough, we're smart enough, and doggone it, people like us, then we must live up to the expectations and perceptions of others. And so we place this weight of glory on our bodies and our relationships and our possessions and our, our comforts, believing that those things are what will sustain us in our need to feel safe and love. We begin to rely on our own strengths. Now, the desire to be loved is 100% valid. You are made in the image and likeness of the God who is love. Therefore, the need to be loved is hardwired into our very DNA. But if we follow Maslow's advice here, we are not going to find ourselves feeling safe and secure, but rather unsafe and insecure. Now, why? Well, because our bodies, our relationships, our possessions, our comfort, the people whose perceptions we chase after, they themselves are constantly changing, constantly breaking, constantly shifting, constantly becoming something else. Why? Because they are created things also. And when those created things fail us or they're taken from us, then our safety and our security are taken from us as well. And that's when we start to feel the pain. And because suffering is seen as weakness in our culture, we seek to avoid it at all costs, don't we? We don't want to be the one who's seen as an inconvenience to other people. We want to be the, the needy friend, do we? We want to be the ones who look like we have it all together. And so we boast. Now, maybe not verbally, maybe not socially, but inwardly. We place the weight of our joy and our identity, either on the strength we feel we possess or the strength we feel someone or something else can provide for us. And yet Paul says here, if I'm going to boast or point to the glory of something, it is not going to be the things that make me look or feel strong, but rather to the things that make me look and feel weak to my sufferings. But why is that? Well, I believe Paul understood that he could boast in his strengths and prove his authority to the Corinthians, or he could boast in his weaknesses and point to the Corinthians to the glory of God. But how do our weaknesses point to the glory of God? Well, let's take a look now at the purpose of the thorn. Verses 7 and 9, Paul says, A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, no one knows what the thorn is, and nor do I think we need to know. I think if we actually knew what it was, we would, we would get to that place where we say, well, that's not my situation, so Paul's words don't apply to me. But God wants us to see his grace is sufficient in every situation. You see, what the thorn is isn't really the point. The point is what the thorn is doing. And what it's doing is showing us two realities. First, Paul says that the thorn was a messenger of Satan, which tells us that pain and suffering is something that Satan uses to speak to our hearts and attack our identity. It tells us that this thorn and the pain that we experience is caused by the presence of real evil. But Paul also says that he asked God to remove it, and God said no, which tells us that though God doesn't cause the evil, he does allow it to persist in our lives sometimes which is a really tough theological pill to swallow, isn't it? But I think if we'll pay attention to what Paul's saying here, we'll see that he's actually giving us the glass of water we need to swallow it down. 
in our text, Paul is boasting about this tension between the existence of evil and the sovereignty of God. And he says, if we can embrace that tension, if we can recognize and walk in and, 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 and see that tension rightly, it will lead us away from the glory of our own strengths and our own self-sufficiency and into the sufficiency of God's grace. But how does it do that? Well, I think it connects us to God's heart in two different ways. First, the recognition of evil enables us to step into a place, and listen to this, of healthy discouragement. Now, I know that sounds like an oxymoron to most of us. That's only because our Western Christian mindset has conditioned us to feel and think that if we struggle with something, if we're angry about something, if we despair about something, if we're depressed about something, if we don't get it, then we must be immature in our faith. We might not have faith at all. But when you find yourself in the midst of what feels like unbearable pain and evil, then angry and frustrated is exactly how you should feel. One of my best friends in Atlanta right now is watching his wife suffer through Parkinson's disease. One of my daughter's best friends is struggling to belong in a new place where her family has moved to, and she's feeling utterly alone and hopeless. I've been with another friend over the last couple of weeks who's been suffering through the loss of someone that he loved dearly. See, those people are angry. They're confused. They're discouraged. I'm angry, confused, and discouraged for them. And you know what? We should be. Because that kind of brokenness is not how God designed the world to be. See, life is hard sometimes, and it's okay to tell God that you're not okay with that. You know why? Because he's not okay with it either. See, discouragement is not a sign of immaturity. It's actually a sign of maturity in our faith. Now, if we're always discouraged, well, that's not good because that means we don't know how to deal with the brokenness of our world. But if you're never discouraged, it means you don't care about the brokenness in our world. But there is a form of healthy discouragement. And in that discouragement, we begin to understand the aching of God's heart over the brokenness in our world. It, it draws us into the reality that, that, that God neither desired it nor does he design it, and his heart breaks over it as well. So first, our thorns help us to better understand God's view of the brokenness in our world. But second, the fact that Paul asked God to take this thorn away reminds us that God is sovereign and has a purpose in sometimes allowing that brokenness to persist in our lives, which of course forces us to ask the question, why? I mean, does God not care about our pain? Or is he just incapable of doing anything about it? Or is there possibly a third reason at work here? See, and this is where I believe the thorn reminds us not just that God hates the brokenness in our world, but that God longs to heal the brokenness in our hearts. You see, the message that comes with the thorns we experience is not the pain itself, it's the fear and anxiety that comes in anticipation or at the thought of the pain we might experience. See, it's, it's, it's the moments before the moment where our weakness shows up. It's the phone call saying, your scans came back and the doctor needs you to come in. It's that text you get that says, we need to talk. And when that fear of those moments hits us, we do what we always do when we're afraid. We reach for something to give us control, to stabilize our circumstances. But when we find ourselves in those moments, we don't know what to do. You see, when we feel strong and, and in control, we're good. 
we find ourselves in the hospital room, we can't help but recognize we're weak and out of control. But when we stand at the precipice of our pain, our minds begin to race to find a solution, to figure out a way to save ourselves from what we fear that pain might mean. And when that fear and anxiety hit, we're forced to make a decision. We can either let our circumstances define who God is. We can let who God is redefine our circumstances. We can either boast in our strengths and seek to save ourselves, or we can boast in our weakness and admit that we need someone else to do the saving for us. And in the midst of Paul's thorn, he chose the latter. He said, my life is not how it ought to be, and I can't do anything about it. But I know the one who can. And when that becomes your mindset, then the grace of God turns your suffering from a threat of destruction into a promise of deliverance. Now, not necessarily deliverance from your pain, but deliverance through your pain. Now, without knowing that I was preaching on this today, my friend in Atlanta sent me a text this week asking for prayer. So over the course of our friendship, I've walked with him through divorce as his first wife left him for another person. In our late 20s, I walked him through his own bout of cancer. In our early 30s, I walked with him through the loss of his grandfather and his father through their bouts of cancer. And today, I walk with him as he cares for his suffering wife, as she walks through a horrible disease. But I want you to listen to the text that he sent me. He said, I know God will give me strength. I used to be so mad at him about the life I had and jealous of all my friends with kids and the storybook life, mad that God allowed me to have cancer and that I couldn't have children. And that's when I started drinking and it all went downhill. But all that changed when I met my wife and for the first five years were great. And then she got sick and that's how I've learned to love the Lord. He knew the love of my life was going to have a life-threatening illness that no man would stick around for. He would have packed up and said, see ya. He knew I would never leave her side and would take care of her every day and continue to love her. See, my story is the perfect example to others of how the Lord is great. He put me in the spot I was supposed to be in with a beautiful woman that loved me for me. And no matter how hard it is to hear her life is limited, I would not trade it for anything in the world. I look at my life now as a true blessing and a life that people can look at and learn that God truly does have a plan for everyone. I look back at a life I thought was hell and I didn't want anything to do with God. But today, I'm thanking him for every day of the life he allowed me to have. I feel he has me here so I can be the difference in someone else's life. And that's my beautiful wife. See, my friend came to realize that though his life has been full of extreme pain, it is through that pain that God's grace has been illuminating his own weakness so that God's power might be made perfect, not only in his life, but in the life of someone else. Just like Paul, my friend asked for relief, but instead received grace. And y'all, grace is far better than relief. You see, grace reminds us that our creator, the creator of the universe, the king of kings, loves us beyond belief. And that love carries more weight than the fear of what we might lose. But how can we know that God loves us this way? How can we know that he is indeed trustworthy in those moments? Well, by seeing the power that is made perfect in our weakness. Paul concludes with this. He says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Paul tells us that the thorn not only shows us that we need saving, but it also points us to the one through whom we can be saved. You see, when Paul says he's experienced weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities, he doesn't say he's happy about them. He doesn't say it's not a big deal. In fact, at the beginning of this letter, he's writing to the church in Corinth in chapter one. He says this, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we've experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. And yet here in our passage, he says, but I am content with weaknesses. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In his letter to the Philippians in chapter four, when writing about his suffering, he says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Did you hear that? Paul is saying that contentment, that strength comes not from a strength from within, but from a strength from without through somebody else. He says there is a a person that all of his pain and all of his suffering and all of his discouragement points him to. And that person gives him the strength to be content in the most horrific of situations. When Paul wrote to the church in Rome about suffering, he put it this way. He said, we rejoice and our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces perseverance or endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Paul says our suffering is working something in us that if we will allow it, it will point us to the love of God revealed through the death of and suffering of Jesus. In 2005, my wife and I found out we were pregnant with our second child. Man, we were happy. At the 12-week checkpoint, the doctor said that something didn't look right on the ultrasound. That messenger of Satan began to speak in my ear. He said, come back in a week, we'll do another test. So we prayed, and we fasted, and we confessed the word, and we went back, and he said... We still can't really tell. Come back in a week. We'll do another test. And so we prayed and we fasted and we confessed the word and we trusted God. And we went back and he said, I don't know what's going on here. I need to send you to a specialist. So another week of praying, fasting, confessing the word, trusting God. And we arrive at the specialist and they do their test. And then we heard the words that we had been praying. That we wouldn't hear. There's no heartbeat. Your baby didn't make it. It was one of the most painful moments I've ever experienced. A week later, she had to go have a surgery done. And I remember sitting in this room with three concrete walls and a curtain in front of me. They're rolling her down the corridor in the hospital bed, and she's still affected by the anesthesia and unaware of what she's doing or saying, but I could hear her just wailing and screaming. They took my baby. They took my baby. And I sat there feeling helpless and alone and forgotten by God in that moment. 
I say, God, where were you? How could you let this happen? That messenger of Satan had been speaking into my ear. But in that moment, I heard the voice of God answer my questions. He said, I'm right here with you, my son. And my heart is breaking too. For this was never my design. He said, but I'm with you in your pain. Remember, I know what it feels like to lose a child. And in that moment, I felt like it was God just inviting me into a place in his heart that I had never experienced before. And I realized that the pain that I had been praying for a month to try to avoid was the same pain that he willingly stepped into to bring me back home. And then I was reminded of Jesus hanging on the cross, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I realized God forsook Jesus on that cross so that I could know he would not forsake me in my moment of need. And I thought about the fact that Jesus didn't stay forsaken. He didn't stay dead. God got his boy back through the resurrection. And today that grave is still empty. And one day I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna get not only see that child, but the other three children that we've lost over the years as we stand in the beautiful presence of God. months after that, my wife and I had the honor and the privilege of walking some very dear friends of ours through a similar situation. And we were able to remind them of what God had reminded us. He's with you in your pain. and your weakness, he will be strong. And listen, whatever you've lost, whatever pain you've experienced, listen, God has given you that promise too. If you allow that pain to redirect your gaze upward to the love of God that he has for you in Christ Jesus, then his grace will be sufficient for you. His power will be made perfect. And one day what you lost will be restored. And through all of that, you'll find a different kind of strength. Not a strength for yourself, not just for yourself, but for others as well. See, Jesus may not take your pain away, but he will redeem it. And give it new meaning. And that is exactly what Paul means when he says, for when I am weak, I am strong. You know, Dr. Maslow is wrong in his prescription of how we as humans can satisfy that need for safety and love. But he was actually right in his diagnosing that we are completely incapable of doing it in and of ourselves. See, our need to feel safe and love can only be ultimately satisfied in someone else. And that's in a relationship with Jesus Because Jesus is the only one who never changes. And the only one who can take weakness and make it strength. If he can use death to accomplish life, then surely he can use our weakness to reveal his power. His amazing grace. I want to close today by asking Seth to, to play a song for us. And I want to ask you in these next few moments not to sing, but to simply listen. And contemplate these lyrics, because these lyrics are going to be familiar to you. But I want you to hear them afresh today, with fresh ears, in light of both the man who wrote them and in what we've been talking about. You see, the lyrics of the song are written by a man who was very familiar with the weakness of pain. He lost his mom at age six, was then raised by an abusive father who forced him into a life at sea. He was forced into slavery in his early 20s. And after purchasing his own freedom, became the captain of his own slave ship. 
by his own admission, he was a broken, angry, and hopeless man. But in the midst of his story, he heard the voice of God calling out to him. Eventually surrendered his pain, his bitterness, and his life to Jesus. And found that God's power was indeed made perfect in his moment. He would go on to become one of the greatest forces for good in the abolitionist movement in the late 1700s and help put an end to the slave trade in England, which led to an end to the slave trade in the United States. And later on in his years, when looking back over his life, John Newton wrote this. Amazing grace. Oh, how sweet sound saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, oh, but now I'm found. take you some time to get there to see what that means that's okay 
do know this. I know that God is for you. I know that he wants you to know that he's with you in that pain. And I know there's a church community here that's willing to be a real life reminder of that love if you'll let us. And I really hope you'll let us. To experience that, you gotta let go of your own strength recognize the brokenness in your life and receive the grace, the strength of God's healing love through the shed blood of Jesus and the power of his resurrection. If you've never done that before, I really hope you will. If you have, I hope you will find the strength of God in the midst of your weakness in a way that not only brings healing to your life, but through your life into the lives of others. Let's pray. Lord, we just confess our weakness to you now. Confess our need for your strength. Lord, we cannot save ourselves, but we look to you. And Lord, I choose today. I pray we would choose today to say yes yes Lord your grace is still amazing even when it comes to us in less than amazing ways Lord would you carry us through would you give us eyes to see your amazing love Christ Jesus has revealed through our pain you haven't forsaken us even though it may feel like it God we need you we need you in Jesus name Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.